I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Rattle Over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 34. The, uh, the We're starting to stretch them out a little bit. We're going with the Rubinho episode. And who here remembers the greatest Juventus number three goalkeeper before Carlo Pinsolio? Anybody? I was there. Who- <laughs> if I remember, if I remember correctly, one of his greatest contributions was injuring Alvaro Morata, like in preseason Correct. training, his first it, when Morata was here the first time. Like. Correct. 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 Yes, that is that is quite possibly his only contribution outside of the kind of courtesy appearance that the manager would throw him at the end of the season when the Scudetto Didn't was all he get won. booed during one of those. I don't know. Who knows? I think he came on for one of those and got booed one time. Yeah. I was like, maybe, maybe I remember that. I might be wrong on this, but that he came on when Buffon was subbed off in his final game. No, that was Pinsolio. Oh, was it Pinsolio? Oh, okay. That was oh, Pinsolio. Yeah. 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 Well, that was, was Pinsolio's first year back, I believe. But anyways, we got a we got a full house here today, and we'll, we'll get to what we're talking about in a minute. So let me first bring in the the already chatty Sam Lepressi. Hello, Sam. Good to see you today, Danny. Good to see everybody today. We've got Chucks. Hello, Chucks. <laughs> Already chatty. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> Sorry. I thought that was funny. <laughs> but hello, yes. Good evening. We've got Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. Happy to be here, as always. Let's have a good show today. Clean show. Clean show. And as a special treat, since we're doing a first half kind of recap here, we've got our buddy Hunter. Hello, Hunter. Hey, guys. If, if it's up to me, the show's not going to be too clean, but we'll uh, see what we can do. <laughs> Before we get going here, Hunter, what are you more proud of? The chickens producing their first egg or you being right about Weston McKinney? Man, I think the chickens, the two <laughs> eggs that we got over the last few days were delicious. And they were also these uh, this breed that lays these light blue eggs. So they're very, very pretty, delicate little Easter eggs. Yeah, the McKinney thing, man. Maybe we'd talk about it a, a little bit more, but like I, I even undersold, you know, way undersold. And my, you know, my big defense was like, oh, he's going to be a depth piece. So even I sound kind of dumb after, after that. But <laughs> thanks for the, thanks for the link, Sergio, and your uh, latest piece. For sure, for sure, we gotta, we gotta wrap our own. All right, Hunter. Hunter mentioned Weston McKinney outperforming expectations and I think it's safe to say that the last two games that Juventus played McKinney was definitely part of the biggest reasons why Juventus now owns Supercopa so even in a season where they're up and down form wise they still have more trophies than Inter and then a win to close the first half of the season even though they still got a game in hand two nothing over Bologna so 
let's start with how vital Mr. McKinney has become to this team. And I will throw it back to Hunter since he is the one driving the Weston McKinney bandwagon. Man, the, the Bologna game, obviously he was amazing. From my perspective, best player on the pitch by a pretty fair margin. He, he was doing everything. He was at both ends. Uh, he was doing the stuff that we've seen him do already, uh, kind of making these runs. I think one thing that, that really impresses me and showed up in the Bologna game was he's making these like end-to-end runs full steam ahead in like the 82nd minute. Like just wait, like when everyone, and you, you could see when he was subbed off, dude was tired, had every right to be. But that sort of grinta all, all game long just is just so cool to see. I, I still, though, I mean, every time he gets out there, I'm just like, is this really Weston McKinney? Like, is this really happening? It's still sort of an out-of-body experience for me. It was an American, it's a Texan. I knew, you know, I've followed him a long time, watched some of the, the abysmal Schalke games uh, that he played in just to, to watch him. But it's still so shocking and surprising and amazing to me every single week. The thing to me is, uh, I'll jump off um, what Hunter said. I was just thinking today, you know, obviously he's been fantastic, but part of me is thinking, okay, why has he been so good? Like more, and by that, I mean, like, what were the conditions within the team and just in the general environment that has so far anyway, made him succeed so much. And I mean, my initial thoughts on that, I haven't really fully fleshed out this, you know, train of thought yet, but my initial thoughts on it is just, are just that I think he in our midfield anyway and really well okay I'll stick with in the midfield in the central midfield that he is the only player with his particular skill set and I think that that just added that means that it added something to the midfield that just wasn't there you know beforehand and yeah and I think that clearly that was something that was very needed but in some way I think maybe McKenney was or is now the player that, and, you know, I mean, obviously glad to be challenged on this idea, but maybe McKenney is the player that Ramsey sort of was supposed to be, or that we hope to be in the, in the sense of those, you know, end-to-end runs, joining attack, and really linking midfield and attack, which, I mean, clearly hasn't panned out with, with Aaron Ramsey, but I thought in some strange way, like maybe McKenney is the player that we hoped slash planned for Ramsey to be, and, you know, Hasn't turned out that way with Ramsey, but has really turned out with McKenney. And yeah, I mean, I'm super proud and just happy to see how, how well he's doing. And I think it's just such, I think that this was a really like an old school Juventus signing, like, you know, young and like sort of underrated. Nobody really, I mean, people sort of knew who he was, but didn't really know much about him. And, you know, lots of like, not, not necessarily lots of proof, but came to the club saying like, okay, I've played with kind of a smaller club and now I really, you know, this is the step up in my career. And I mean, it's worked, you know, and um, and a cheap, cheap signing as well. You know, loan with, a, I think it was an option to buy, oh no, it was an obligation to buy. I forget if it was option or obligation, but anyway, a loan. Um, so um, yeah, glad that we, uh, we've made just kind of a traditional event of signing rather than, you know, the flashy like 50, 60, 70 million <laughs> euro uh, signings uh you know the hollywood signings this was just kind of uh yeah an old school one 
you, you hit the nail on the head on one respect there, Chucks, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pip you to the movie quote today. He has a very particular set of skills. And um, <laughs> take, that, take that, Chucks. But what that particular that set what that set of skills does, the way that he's been making those runs forward into the box and and the way he just moves around the entire midfield, that frees the other midfielders up to do to do their thing less obstructed f- by everything else around them because McKenney is occupying so much by what he does. And it's, and it's all over the place. You, I, I mentioned this in my, in my match recap and, and the ESPN commentators were all were, were talking about this multiple times on on, on Sunday morning. There were times where McKenney was the furthest guy forward on the team, you know, e- even, more so than Ronaldo and, and Kulusevsky, you know, he's, you know, he's serving as a a reference point up top. He's, he's making, he's making a bunch of key passes, which is not something that I don't think anyone, any, none of us were, would have expected him to be averaging two or three key passes a game based on what we thought we knew of his skill set coming in. But it's, to me, I think, the the biggest thing is that he, he what his play does allows everybody else to do their thing better than it was than than they would have been able to do without him on the field as i think and i think the intergame proved that i'm when he wasn't there i mean i think i don't think it was a i don't think it was a coincidence that the with the way McKinney was playing yesterday that artur and rodrigo bentancourt both had probably their best games of the season you know, he, he does so much and he's the only guy I, th- I, I, who, who was it that said a couple of episodes ago, he's one of the only guys that's been making those forward runs into the box since Sammy, since before Sammy Kadira's body betrayed him. And, you know, that, that makes such, that makes such a difference. It, it, it gives opposing defenders and midfielders something to kind of, you know, it, it creates kind of a gravity well where, <laughs> guys have to be looking at him and other people can get space and get time. And I think that's, that's the biggest contribution that he's been bringing so far. Yeah. I'll, I'll add something to that, Sam. And uh, I, I don't think I was the one that made that comparison with Kadia. Um, I would love to take the credit, but I can't, but um, <laughs> <Take it, George. laughs> yeah, I was tempted to take it, but no, I, uh, you know, uh, humility is very necessary in our world today, so um, I'll uh, add some humility. Uh, no, I think the most surprising thing I think with McKenny was that. Um, so in Dutch, we have this word uh, to describe uh, certain types of players, certain types of midfielders. We would call him a stofzuiger, which uh, translated means a uh, vacuum cleaner. But basically, um, you know, when we describe midfielders like that, uh, you know, vacuum cleaner midfielders as midfielders that just, you know they clean up all the mess, you know, they clean up all the mess in midfield uh, in order to allow everybody else to flourish and, you know, to do all the fancy stuff. Um, you know, they do the dirty work. And <clears throat> I thought that, I thought that McKenny, like when we signed him and from what I kind of read on about him, I thought like, Oh, okay. He's going to be, he's going to be the, you know, the vacuum cleaner player in midfield. And he absolutely is not, you know, I think, and the most surprising kind of uh, observation from that is, as Sam said, that, 
he's often the 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 player furthest forward of the entire team and you know like the types of midfielders that clean up the mess they're never all the way up and you know that far up the pitch so um yeah I mean I think that's the most surprising thing about McKenney and maybe it was just that I didn't know him well enough or just know his characteristics well enough or just that Pirlo's system has brought that out of him or specific instructions from Pirlo uh, to do that. Um, I don't know. But but on that note as well, I think that Pirlo's system has also benefited him in the sense that, you know, that high intensity, high press and like, you know, like play on the front foot, high energy style of play has, you know, probably benefited uh, McKenney as well. Yeah, just one last thought on on. Weston, obviously we've got a lot to cover. I think the Ramsey comparison is spot on. I really like the exact things that Aaron Ramsey has done in flashes is what we're seeing Weston do pretty much every other game, but but even better than, than Ramsey has ever done really for us. I think the other two things, you know, a couple of things that he adds is he's an obvious aerial threat. He's a big guy. He has great direction on his headers like we've seen. And, and having that with Ronaldo, with, you know, on corners, it's been big. Uh, like was mentioned, also just just his runs in open play and becoming that fixture in the middle. He's, he's acting like a nine. I mean, he's acting like a real nine up there. Barcelona, you know, learned that firsthand. I mean, he, he can go in there, crash the box, Quadrado when he's not shooting his own failing shots, uh, it's pretty aware of McKinney. I do think also that, that, you know, he moves up and down so much. He still does have, have really good ball winning qualities and he still does break up play and he breaks up counters. And um, it's just, that may not be his, his main thing, but it's cool to see that happen kind of up and down the pitch. Uh, and obviously Pirlo has really valued those abilities. And we've seen that the last couple of days, just what his presence brings to the midfield. And like Sam said, compare the inner game to both Napoli and now Bologna. And I'll bring Sergio in just kind of the weekend that was, I mean, Juventus got, you know, we were talking last week, should this be the <laughs> kind of the, the end of the line in terms of the Scudetto race? And here we are seven days later on our very next podcast episode saying, Hey, we're back in it. So Sergio, as somebody who was kind of doom and gloom a little bit last week, are you all the way back in, in terms of Juventus in the title race? Yes, of course. I was never out. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something like that. <laughs> the, the whole thing was satire. It was, it was misconstrued and, and no, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, obviously it, it was, it was, I think both emotional and both that, what we saw from from that Inter game, it was definitely like, look, it's not even that it's an insurmountable lead necessarily because they did have that game on hand, but it was just you saw that team and it was like, there's no way they're gonna, you know, get a ten game winning streak or whatever they need to actually put pressure on Milan. But a lot can change, I guess, in a week because we saw both of the things that we needed to see, like to kind of imagine a scenario in which they can come back, and that was. We saw a little bit of more, you know, a better midfield just overall. And that had a lot to do with, with the the guy we were talking about previously, Weston McKinney. But it, it also had a lot to do with, with another guy who 
in my opinion, had the best, you know, two game stretch of his whole season. And that that's Arthur. And, and I, I made a, a passing remark on it on, on the latest graphic, but maybe we were a little bit, you know, too premature to kind of call him not necessarily a bust, but, but not kind of like a good player either necessarily, because he, he is maybe taking a little while to adapt, but I, I think he might have found a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, a spot for him in that lineup, uh, that, that lineup that Pirlo has been trotting on recently with Rodrigo Bentancur and, and McKinney and Arthur. And I, I think that is the, with the players he has available to him, I think that is a good combination. I think that he found something with that lineup. And we've, we've been seeing it in the last couple of games, the Supercopa and the, the Bologna game. And it also had a lot to do with Milan dropping points. They got run over by Atalanta. And suddenly that game on hand, Napoli is not looking all that sharp. They lost the Supercopa. They lose against Verona. You know, if they win that one, they're back four, four points back. And it's a, it's a race. And it's not even a race just for Juve. It's a race for everyone. Like, I can't remember, like, how like how many seasons have been that just the, the top five, the top six are, you know, kind of like all clustered together. I, I think it's just going to be a really fun end of the season overall. But But yes, all the way back. Juventus is... It's all the way back for sure. I, th- I think it certainly helped that Milan and Inter both dropped points immediately after that Inter game, which I don't think any of us were expecting to essentially put us right back into where it had been going into that game. And even though they they managed to, to pick up a last gasp, the other team that's ahead of Juve at this point, Roma, seems to be in utter freefall right now. Their coach is basically on a game-to-game basis right now. Their captain and top star is might be gone by the end of January because he's he's fed up with the with the coach and with management. If you read, if you believe the reports, you know Milan's got some in, Milan's dealing with some injuries right now. Inter are all you know. You can always count on Pazza Inter to 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 do something like they did against Udinese. It is a race again. They're back in it again. And, you know, like you said, if like, like you said, Sergio, that, that game in hand suddenly becomes very, very critical because if you, if you keep within shouting distance and then you win that game in hand, you get that much closer. And, you know, towards the end of the season, you have the head to heads against Milan against Inter. Both of those are home games, which doesn't mean as much right now without the fans, but still it's, you know, you're in the you're in the comfort of your own building, and that counts for something. And meanwhile, all of the big, you know, the the clubs that look like big games—Napoli, Roma, Lazio—are starting to fall away a little bit. This is going to be a, a a wide open and wacky ritorna, and it's going to be really, really. I mean, for the neutral, it's going to be great. For everybody that's got that's got skin in this game, it's just going to kind of be a little. It, it's it's going to be it's going to give you some agita for the rest of the of the season to just see week to week what might end up going on and what might you know what result might shock the world next. I'll actually add something about Artur because I agree with Sergio that you know we were a bit premature about you know our kind of our assessment on him. But also, again, let's remember that, you know, Artur, he's completely new to the club. But not only that, he's completely new to a club that had no preseason. 
with a club or sorry, with a coach who's, I mean, you know, brand new to coaching. I mean, first coaching job uh, ever in his life. So, you know, that factor, then of course it's a crazy season with COVID and just with a hugely condensed uh, schedule and with a team that, you know, not only has a coach that has never coached before, but just a completely different playing style and just, you know, not really sure of what our identity is in uh, for the team at all. And to add to that as well, I mean, he came from Barcelona, you know, and uh, I know I mentioned this, I think last episode or the episode before that, um, I talked about that story from uh, Alexis Sanchez, which uh, I thought was a in- really interesting interview. It's an old interview, but he talked about basically his experience at Barcelona and he talked about how it was uh, leaving, uh, who was he with before that? Uh, Arsenal? No. Well, anyway, with the club he was before Barcelona, I forget. Alexis Sanchez, where he was before. Wasn't it Udinese? Did he go straight from Udinese to Barca? It was probably. Yeah, I thought he went somewhere else first and then to Barca, but anyway. But irrelevant anyway. You know, his his point was like, when he joined Barcelona, he said it was, he had to basically relearn football. Like, it was so, so different. Just, you know, the most basic concepts in, in the sport were just so, I mean, just interpreted so differently at Barcelona that he really had to relearn football and it was that made it extremely difficult for him to adapt but then thinking about it in the reverse as well just leaving Barcelona to another club um, how much of a difference that can be for a player and you know in this case Artur of course of course and just that adaptation as well of leaving a club like that and going to just a completely different style of play at Juventus so you know just a lot of factors going on with Artur so that's why I kind of, I never really, I mean, I, don't know, I never really made much of a comment about him. I, I admitted as well that he was not playing well, but I think for in some odd way, Arthur, he was like the least of my concerns, basically, at the time. And I mean, still now as well, because I thought, I mean, I don't know, frankly, we had bigger issues to attend to. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad to see that he is uh, slowly but surely, yeah, making an imprint on the team. Because, I mean, I think really in the midfield, he's a really, really important component of the midfield. Because he he's the creator. He's supposed to be the creator. You know, I mean, essentially the regista in midfield. And, I mean, if we don't have a functioning player in that position, I mean, it's really, really problematic. Because then what do you have? You have a knock-on effect of, like, the, the attackers having to drop super deep to get the ball to then bring it all the way forward because nobody's creating from deep. And then, you know, you have what Ronaldo and Dybala in their own half. Yeah. Well, you know, that creates all kinds of issues, of course. So really, really fundamental player in that midfield and uh, glad to see he's, uh, you know, making some improvements. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the, the point, right? He, he has to be that creator. And I don't think he is that right now. We, we made a joke a, a few times and a few pods ago about how he, the only thing he was good for was just kind of like keeping possession and not losing the ball. And that was pretty much it. He wasn't really good for anything else. And, and I remember we mentioned, yeah, that, that's not nothing. That, that's a skill. That's a good skill to have. And if you can develop that and if you can add some good passing and some good distribution, there's a good player there. I don't think he's quite there yet, but the, the Juventus midfield as currently constituted they needed a guy like that because how many times we saw either Adrian Rabiot or Rodrigo Bentancur or Aaron Ramsey get cheaply dispossessed in the midfield and then immediately Juventus is, is 
open business for a counter, right? We saw that way too many times. And the one thing that Arthur does for you is that he's not going to get cheaply dispossessed. He's going to keep the ball. He's going to do those tiny circles that Hunter loves so much. And, and he's just not going to lose the ball. And, and that's, not, that's not great. He's not peak Andrea Pirlo. He's not necessarily the guy that's going to unlock this whole team. But for something, it is something that brings a skill set that the Juventus midfield did not have. And it seems to be working. They're limiting those. They're limiting those counter chances. They're allowing Rodrigo Bentancur not to necessarily be kind of like that. That register, like Chucks was saying, he's more of a free-flowing role. He can, you know, get balls back and do what he does best. He's allowing Weston McKinney to be that guy that can, you know, recover balls, but also have those very dangerous runs we were talking about. He, I think he, if he continues on this path, I think he might be one of those guys that really is going to be a determinant factor in this season moving forward. And especially because like, like Chuck said, I mean, he, he barely got in time on the team before we started. So I think it, it's good to see that he's finally kind of, we're seeing more of why they brought him to, to the team other than, you know, to cook the books, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're talking about mid season kind of review and, and awards here in a little bit. I think that there's really no question that Arthur wins the tiny circle award uh he, he draws those tiny circles like tiny nobody circles else arthur and do man, another he's, one he's, you, another know, you don't one. even need to ask this guy he just he was made for those tiny circles i think optimistically it would it will you know that is his role and, and we need him to to get there if uh if this team wants to make noise in the champions league and, and be as good as, as we hope it can be i I will say, you know, like the Locatelli rumors have been pretty hot for, for a pretty long time. That dude looks smooth uh, for Sassuolo. He, he drops back between the center backs. He gets the ball. He distributes. And I, you know, I hope Arthur does well. Um, I, I feel like he's got a few months here. He's got it on you know, the second half of the season to, to make his case for, for growing into that role and for Juve not going to, to need, you know, to spend 50 million or whatever it is on Locatelli. But, uh, you know, hopefully that pressure helps his game. But, yeah, it's a role that we've, we've all known we need for a while. I'd almost want them to spend the money on Locatelli anyway and let our tour kind of work a little higher up the field. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think that that they couldn't coexist. Yeah, I mean, imagining Locatelli, Arthur, and, uh, and McKinney is, is certainly – Sounds like a pretty good deal. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Hunter mentioned that we're going to do some first half review stuff, and I guess we don't have anywhere other to start other than uh, Andrea Pirlo's first half. I mean, he was hired, I believe, first week of August. We're now five and a half months or so into the Andrea Pirlo era, and you know, for whoever wants to go first here, how are we – how are we feeling about the job that Pirlo's done? Because obviously it hasn't come easy just in terms of 
the world we're living in with just how truncated the schedule is. And then you've got the the virus stuff on top of that. And just kind of, it, it seems like for a new manager, this was uh, about as much of a fire as you can be thrown into. I think all things considered, and I was, uh, you know, I've been quoted as, uh, well, I've been on record rather, uh, being very critical about um Andrea Pirlo's no, appointment. No, no, as not, coach. not, not you, Chucks. No, no, you're never skeptical on this podcast. <laughs> Which is funny because my <laughs> my girlfriend always says I'm like one of the most optimistic people. I'm not. I'm like, well, I guess I am. I don't know. Am I? Just, Sometimes just I am. Listen, I don't know. Just listen to the podcast, honey. It's a little different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I leave my optimism for all other areas of life, and then you know, I just come here and unload. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I've obviously been, you know. Uh, on record of just being very critical about Andrea Pirlo's uh, appointment, obviously when the news broke uh, in that uh, almost iconic ep- podcast episode, I want to say, then, you know, I was, uh, yeah, I wasn't happy. And I was, yeah, I, I wasn't happy about it. And I thought it was just a display of management, just frankly having no plan and just figuring things out on a day-by-day basis instead of having a long-term plan. Anyway, et cetera, et cetera. But all things considered, I think he has been good he's done very well because i think the biggest and i mean this is an obvious statement to say but the, just the biggest point is that i mean he this is his very first you know coaching assignment ever and he's not even he's not even been retired for all that long you know i mean only yeah i mean very recently he just retired so you know he's very fresh and just ask Frank Lampard. Coaching isn't easy. Coaching is really, really difficult. I've only appreciated just how difficult it is to be a manager as I've kind of, you know, gotten a more analytical eye for, for the game and observed it more as like, yeah, observed it more from a tactical and just a managerial standpoint rather than just as a fan. So yeah, I've really come to appreciate just how, yeah, I mean, it's a thankless job. It's uh, it's a really thankless job. So, yeah, considering that and obviously not having a preseason and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, he has done well. I think I've been impressed by just how he's figured things out. It's funny. I just criticized management for this, but how he has really by force figured things out on the go. You know, he's figured out a formation that, I mean, is working. And, you know, it does seem that we have at least formation-wise, an identity. Like, we know it's going to be this sort of 4-4-2, hybrid. Players seem to understand it. Players seem to be comfortable in it. We know what we're going to get. And above all, I think his biggest achievement, to me anyway, without a doubt, his biggest achievement is the re- rebirth of Danilo as a defender. I mean, he's that, without a doubt, has been just the most unexpected thing even even more unexpected than McKenney honestly has been Danilo being just a top-notch defender in Pirlo's system so I think yes you know he takes huge credit for that obviously both in terms of man management skills but it seems it was mostly a tactical thing that really enabled Danilo to shine so much but yeah I mean all really again all things considered I mean he won his Champions League group against obviously Barcelona who were you know kind of in a, in the same boat as we're in, you know, in the transition phase. Yeah, he won that group, and we're still, what is it, fourth in the league right now with still that big game in hand, which, I mean, we win it, and, hey, you know, four points. But if we lose it, 
obviously we're still uh, got a long way to go as well. So, uh, I mean, point is we're still in a title race somehow, like somehow um, we're still in the title race and yeah. First in the group, first in champions league group with a, I mean, doable round of 16 tie against uh, FC Porto. So uh, yeah, I mean, thanks Pirlo and uh, keep it up, mate. <laughs> so they call Chucks a cockeyed optimist. No. <laughs> um, I try, I try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's your Rodgers and Hammerstein for the, uh, for the, for the week. More, no, more, I, more I, than I, Tim Vickery. Yeah. Um, more than Tim Vickery. So there you go. But uh, I, I think, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit. I mean, like Chuck said, I mean, not only is this the first time he's ever coached on a, on any level, it's also, he also had to come into it without the benefit of a full off season to be able to install his, his system and to be able to tinker in friendlies that don't matter. He's put the team in a, in a, decent position to make runs at at the rest of the competitions that they are involved in right now uh, Sergio you pointed this out in your in this was in the grab bag if if uh, Juve were to win that game in hand then they would have had the exact same number of points through 19 games as they had in 15 16 when they made that crazy uh, title comeback and it's taken him a while it's He's needed to sign. He's needed to sound things out in competitive matches, but he's starting to figure things out. He's also been a lot more malleable than his predecessor. You know, Sadi did it his way, and and did it his way, and then also did it his way. You know, we've seen these last few games. You know, Pirlo has dialed back that high line just a little bit to protect Chiellini and Bonucci from the counterattacks a little bit more. You know, I said after the Inter game, I hope he learns, you know, it was something he learned from. Juve were just so repeatedly sliced on the counter in that game. And you can visibly see that at least when he's got those two older guys back there, he started to dial it back and give them less room to have to run. And that worked a lot. And that worked really well against Napoli, who were counterattacking Masters. And also, I also don't think can be sniffed at he has convinced cristiano ronaldo to take a role that is not just out on the left wing like convincing cristiano ronaldo to play in a front two even a front two with the freedom that he does have that's not nothing because that's always been like you know where he wants to be and even though his skills maybe, you know, physical skills are maybe at a point now where it's not where he should be. And I think the fact that he's gotten that buy-in from a guy like Ronaldo, um, I think that it, it gives him a lot of credibility. It trickles, it has things trickle down. I think that if, if things keep going well, the project there, there's hope for this project with him. I, I think he's done a very good job given all of the stuff that has been in his way as obstacles. Yeah, I think that, like, in my mind, the, the main thing for, for Pirlo to do at this point is to do enough to, to get back next year. 
to do enough not to get canned. But this is something we didn't see Sorry was able to do. Who knows you know, what uh, this team would have looked like if Sorry had had a second year and, and had had a transfer window to, to maybe have a little bit more influence into the types of players. I'm not saying we, we should have done that, um, but I think that for Pirlo, it's important that he does that, right? And in order for that to happen, just like Mourinho said when, when Lampard got fired in the last you know, 24 hours, you've got to win. It doesn't, doesn't really matter how it looks. It almost doesn't matter if your team's getting better or worse. You, you just you have to win. You have to get points. You have to advance. You know, Pirlo has managed to do that. I think Chelsea, you know, hadn't won a game against the top eight in like, you know, 15 or 20 years or something like that. And uh, so, like, you know, seeing Pirlo at least get some of these important wins uh, against Napoli in the Supercopa, uh, against Milan at the San Siro when Milan had a a golden opportunity to extend their lead, even with the the pretty miserable performance against Inter, he's getting wins, you know, and and we are close enough to the title race. I think you start to, to wonder what what is a scenario in which Pirlo does not get a second year, right? Like, what if Juventus lose to Porto? What if we don't advance to the round of eight? What what if we don't win the Scudetto? Does he still come back? Um, what if somehow by by some crazy divine conspiracy Juventus don't make the Champions League? What if we get like fifth in Syria? I don't know. You know it's weird. There's a lot of tough teams we've mentioned the, the kind of logjam in the title race some teams are tending trending up some are, are trending down Atalanta just looked extremely good Napoli has actually looked good outside of the Supercopa it's it's tough you know there's just different scenarios I think that Pirlo's just got to find a way to win enough to, to stay in turn over the summer have some say about who he wants to, to acquire um, and have a more normal offseason and get to next year. My, my overall assessment so far is that he's been, he's been fine. I don't know. I don't, I don't have like some big thing. I think he's been good to, you know, fine to good. Like, it, you know, I, winning the group was good. We got pretty lucky Champions League draw in the group stage just with that collection of teams. But yeah, considering all circumstances, you know, and, and I think, you know, mentioning Danilo and, and McKenney, players who have really blossomed under Pirlo, that's um, certainly exciting and, and good to see. And I think some of the players that we saw struggle early on have started to, to integrate a little bit better as well, which is also, I think, reason for optimism. So I think he's done enough right now to merit, you know, keeping this thing going. Sergio, since we're doing first half recap, who is your first half most valuable player yeah that that's tough it's tough because we, we've you know on and off mentioned a bunch of guys throughout this this kind of like first half recap ish pod uh danilo is definitely a good option weston mckinney is a good option uh i think cristiano ronaldo we have to mention him he's the you know goals i mean he's uh, the guy with the most goals so far he hasn't been you know like like cristiano ronaldo all caps so far this season i think it's it's you know he's he's been kind of like up and down but you know he he's still i mean leads the team in goal so he definitely deserves a shout out but i, I would actually 
you know, I would go as far as saying, you know, Juan Cuadrado, I think he also deserves a lot of recognition, just especially now that he's back after his uh, red card against Fiorentina and then the break and then he got COVID and the whole thing. And, you know, the team looks better with him. I think him and McKinney are two guys that sometimes you just can't quite point out why, but when they are on the field, the team just looks better. So there's a bunch of guys, I think, because, you know, to kind of like pick someone that maybe you guys don't pick, I think I'll go with Juan Cuadrado. I I think he's been really good. When he's maddening, he's maddening. He's going to make dumb mistakes like the Fiorentina red card, like, I mean, a bunch of, he's going to flop all over the place. He does that. It's annoying. But, But the things he does well, he does really well. And when he plays, the team is just better. So I think I'm going to name him my, my MVP of the, of the first half. So I will go uh, for the <clears throat> slightly more obvious uh, or predictable, I guess, uh, player. But before I give you the answer, it, to me, it, it, as Sergio said, it's between uh, McKenney and um, uh, Danilo. But I'm actually just about going to edge it and give it to Danilo. And Really, to me, that's more of, okay, you think of MVP, and to me anyway, MVP is just most valuable in terms of, I guess, how do I say it, most important contribution to the team, or most like, if that makes sense, like kind of most contributor contributory to the team, um, not just in terms of most talent and like most, um, you know, scored the most goals or like just was like the best in terms of talent, but the best in terms of without his contribution, the team would have been seriously like lacking or, or seriously worse off than before. And so that's why I give it to Danilo. And really that's because I look at our defense and I say, okay, Alexandro has been out due to injury and COVID for quite a few games. And Chiellini, of course, I mean, he's only just really in the last few games gotten finally gotten a run of games of consecutive games together so he's also been essentially out for most of the season the lift has always has been fantastic as we all know he was of course briefly out due to covid but yeah i mean the lift has basically been carrying the defense by himself and we all know the trials and tribulations of uh leonardo leonardo bonucci of the last i mean yeah he started i thought he started the season well though but yeah i mean after that he kind of you know tilled off so Basically, in defense, we've only really had the Licht and, and yeah, Cuadrado, but, you know, yeah, the Licht and Cuadrado basically as the only, like, really good players. So, and the Licht can't carry the defense by himself, you know. I mean, he's that central defender, just that, you know, that spine of the team, um, that spine of the team that runs through, you know, central, central defense, uh, central midfield and center forward. You know, I think really if if Danilo weren't like if he didn't have this just revelatory season like this, I think we really would have had, had an issue in, in in defense. Like, I mean, yeah, even more significantly than you know as we are having with Bonucci right now. But um, yeah, I think we really would have had some issues in defense if uh, Danilo weren't uh, weren't having yeah the very good season that he's having now. And uh, once again, I need to point out that you know we are the joint best defense right now in the league shared with Hellas Verona remarkably well Chucks the last time you mentioned that Juventus got hammered by Inter so knock on wood that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, well guilty as charged guilty 
my definition of MVP has always been what player, who is the player that affects the, the whole team more? Who is the player that without him, the team is just demonstrably worse. And as we've, we discussed quite a bit earlier on in this episode, so I won't get into it too much. I think it's Weston McKinney without him in the midfield. The team is just an entirely different, the team is an entirely different unit. They they don't play as well. Whatever it is that he brings, they 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 can't really do without. They are demonstrably a worse team. And so yeah, I I, I I've got to give it to McKenney so far, uh, which is the last person I really would have thought it would have been. But it's you know I I was I was I love I I loved the the move. And now it's just a, now this is, I mean, this is on the level of a bank heist with Schalke. I mean, this is, you know, somebody's getting fired over there over this one. (laughs) Yeah. It's gotta be Weston for me because without him, the rest of the midfield and the rest of the team just doesn't go. I I suppose that person will be fired after the person at Roma that didn't tell Paulo Fonseca that he can't make six subs. I mean that was Lorenzo Pe- that that was Lorenzo Pellegrini. So I don't know if you can get him off the. They want to get him off the team. Uh, in, that, in that case, fired that person after yeah. firing the person that uh, messed up and the uh, Amadou Diawara uh, registration <laughs> in the Roma game against Hellas Verona. Oh no, he works for no, he works for Hellas Verona now. Yeah, I mean, come, come on, people, you had one job. Why me? I feel I, I feel bad. Bren might listen. Bren might listen to this podcast. I feel bad. I don't want to pile in on too much. <laughs> I mean, come you, on. You, you might uh, you might pile on him next week. So who knows? But anyways, we mentioned <laughs> MVP. What about LVP? Chucks, what say you? Ooh, put me on the spot there. Well, in terms of just purely looking at players. Um, I'm going to go for a slightly surprising one. Um, I'm going to say uh, Demiral, maybe Demiral, because, um, yeah, least valuable player just in terms of just most disappointed, really. I mean, okay, he's had some injuries and stuff, but, I mean, he's been, yeah, from, from what I know, he's been mostly fit. I mean, yeah, he's had some injuries here and there, but, like, he hasn't, like, had an ACL injury or something, you know? So, yeah, just really, I don't know, just really disappointing. Um, again, just what I was saying, you know, about uh, Danilo and just the state of defense. Yeah. Damiel is one of those players that has just been missing as well. So yeah, I'm going to stick with that one actually, because I'm pretty sure I know what other ones you guys are going to mention. So I'm going to go with a slightly uh, more offbeat one. I mean, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to stay in defense there as well. I mean, I just, I mean, Demiral, I feel, you feel bad for him because I mean, he kind of got Wally pipped by Danilo there because, you know, he was still riding out that ACL injury that he suffered in January when Danilo suddenly became undroppable. But for me, it's gotta be Leonardo Bonucci. This is the worst season I've seen him play in a Juventus shirt since Gigi Neri was the coach. The, the last two games aside where he's actually played pretty well, on the balance of the season, he has not been good. He has been the weak link in the back line, you know, to the point where I know I'm on record as saying I wanted him dropped for a healthy Demerol. I think that he doesn't have that oomph factor anymore. 
in defense. Like he does not, he doesn't go in to challenge a guy that's running at him. He'll just do the little fairy move that, you know, the, the, the fairy pirouette that, uh, that Danny loves so much. It's like watching the nutcracker and, you know, the, pa- and, and the passing ability that he has, which is valuable in this system that Pirlo uses because he does, you know, it, unlike Maurizio Sari, there is very much a place for those root one balls over the top. Those aren't coming as often as they need to be to offset the defensive mistakes that he has been making. I hope that the, these last two performances he's had, which have been quite good, are the start of a turnaround and that by the end of the season, we're not necessarily bashing on him quite so much, but I, I don't see anybody who has played on the regular that has been worse. You know, the funny thing about Bonucci is that I have a conspiracy theory that if he wasn't a captain, uh, they'd probably drop him. But because he is the captain and he was the captain for a long time because Giorgio Chiellini was not fit, it, they, they kind of couldn't do it because he was the captain and it was like an awkward position. Because for sure, I agree with Sam. I think he was, I think he was objectively bad for large stretches of the season. And, and he was definitely a, disappointing, a disappointment. But, but now that, that he's been taken... Um, I'm either I'm split between either Paulo Dybala or Rodrigo Bentancur. I think those two guys are are for me two of the most disappointing guys. And I'm going to have to go with with Bentancur. I'm going to give Dybala some slack just because he's been injured. He's had just a remarkable string of bad luck uh, for him. Every time he starts to kind of like gain some fitness back, he gets injured again. It's just been a snake bitten season from him. But you know that doesn't erase the fact that he that he has been very disappointing. But it's a little bit you know not so much his fault, I would say. Uh, but with Bentancur, I think we talked about this in the previous pod. But we were banking on him, and as fans, of course, and I think the the board was banking on him to take that step forward, to kind of become that guy who could hold that midfield, who could distribute, who could do everything they, they wanted him to become, you know, kind of like that's that's why they thought we can let Pjanic go because Bentancur can kind of take on that role. And so far, we haven't seen that. We just haven't seen that from him. He's been better as of late uh, with kind of like a diminished role, not so much responsibility, and he has been good again. And, and listen, there's nothing bad with that. He can be a good role player. He can be a good squad player. But I, I think the fact that he didn't take that step forward. I'm still seeing the same Bentancur from last year, which again, is a good player. It's a functional player, but he didn't take that step forward and, and the team suffered because of it. And, and it is disappointing because you would expect him to kind of, if he's going to get there, you would expect him to kind of take that next step and, and he just hasn't. So if I were to, to name someone, yeah, I guess... Rodrigo Mentancourt, just as the most disappointing one, not necessarily the worst player, just the most disappointing one in, in regard to what we expected of him coming into the season. As Rodrigo Bentancourt's adopted father, Sergio, thank you for joining us on the podcast. You will not be welcome back next week. I'm kidding. kidding. I, I, will not, I will not be silent. <laughs> I will maintain that take. As a certain uh, controversial uh, figure in the, in the U.S. would say, you're fired. Oh, man. No, that, that's definitely oh. getting edited out, Chucks. 
That's definitely going to get it. I will. I, I will say that I, I do find it. I do find it very, very. I, I will say I do find it very, very suspicious that Sergio went for Danny's large adult son as opposed to his own large adult son. I'm calling shenanigans on this right now. Uh, conflict of interest. He's Decla- been injured. He's been injured. Not his fault. Declare an interest. <laughs> Declare an interest. All right. Well, last last one here. I will. I know we're doing a review, but we'll look forward player that uh you guys are hoping has a better second half of the season i think the couple that sergio just mentioned a minute ago would uh would be pretty good candidates huh yeah we, we can run it back i mean i guess in that in that sense i think dibala i i think that that he's you know we were talking about it in the, in the pirlo section of how he has done They've done this with getting pretty much little to nothing from the Serie and the P. And that's pretty impressive, I would say. I mean, I think, you know, regardless of whether he's been injured or not, I think getting him back at some point, he, he, he should be back by early February, according to the latest reports. Um, getting that guy back, getting a dude who is talented enough to be the MVP of the league. I think that's going to be a huge boost. I think that that can definitely change the complexion of the team, the depth of the team, what they can do, what, what they can trot out lineup wise. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to say, I think, you know, hopefully he can get back to, to the form that we know that he can achieve. And if he can, I mean, that, that just, that's a whole other level to, to what this team can, can achieve to what the, the ceiling of this team is really. I'm going to go, with my own large adult son. I'm going to talk about Dan Kulusevsky. I mean, uh, it certainly has not been the, 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 the runaway success, his first season with the team that we were kind of hoping for that, that that first goal of the season that he scored almost kind of indicated it might be he's had, you know, he's had some trouble adjusting. It's, it's very clear, you know, it could, to, to not playing as that right wing that that he was at Parma last year. I think he's found at least for this set of tactics where his best place is up top in that front two. But I think that, you know, I, I think his talent is obvious. It's just a matter of refinement. And let's remember the guy is, is he 20 yet? You know, he, he's got a lot of growing to be able to do. But especially with the way Pirlo wants to play, for the most part, he needs to start learning how to work in possession as opposed to being that bomb forward counterattacker that that was so good and is so good when he can make those runs in in games this season. But he's gotta he's gotta refine things. He's gotta learn how to play with the ball because especially if you know somebody else gets hurt up top. He's going to need it. I was actually going to go for uh, Ben Tancur as well, but, you know, we've kind of, yeah, we kind of talked about him already. So I'm actually going to go for another player in midfield since the midfield has been the most, you know, talked about area, I think. And I mean, rightly so. Um, Because honestly, I think that in terms of our midfield, honestly, I think if every one of our central midfielders were in the form playing at the level and form as McKenney is right now, we would have an extraordinary midfield. You know, Ben Tucker, Arthur, Ravio, all of them, we would have an amazing, Ramsey. I mean, we would have an incredible midfield if everybody were top, like on top form. 
um, because talent wise, they have that talent, but unfortunately they're not doing that. But to answer the question, I'll say uh, Adrien Rabio, you know, in addition to Ben Tancur, as has uh, been mentioned, but uh, Rabio, I think I'm hoping to see just kind of a re-emergence. I think he's kind of, uh, you know, fallen into the, into the background a little bit again. He had that really strong end to last season after the restart, really, really strong end to the season there. Uh, started pretty decently this season and then has kind of, I mean, not played like horribly badly, just kind of, you know, disappeared a little. So yeah, hoping to see him reemerge again, because um, I think if Artur just c- continues uh, his form, which I think he will, uh, just continues, you know, growing and growing more and then McKenny keeping up his form and then Rabio or Bentancur, but uh, Rabio um, coming back to where he was then, I mean, I think we'll, honestly, I think that will fix the midfield. Um, just all those players being informed. So, uh, uh, allez, Adrien, allez, come on. Chuck's asking a lot for Juventus' midfield to all be in good form at one time. <laughs> I know, man can dream, man can dream. <laughs> but at least Artur, or uh, sorry, at least like um, you do. Uh, Rabio and uh, yeah, Bentancur. Come on, lads. Come on. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap things up on that. We want to thank, first and foremost, Hunter for stopping by. He had to drop out right after talking about Andrea Pirlo. So thank you all for, uh, or thank you, Hunter, for stopping by for a uh, cameo appearance on the podcast. Uh, As always, you can listen to us on Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Search Black and White and Rattle over there. Like, subscribe, rate us, review us, all that good stuff. Same goes for Spotify and Google Podcasts. Search Black and White and run over. You can follow us on social media at Juventus Nation on Twitter, at Black and White and run over on Facebook. All right, we got all the housekeeping out of the way. So for Sam, for Chucks, and for Sergio and Hunter, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>